Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everybody, it is your Space Madness Chihuahua, Bruiser Oldsmobile. But hold it, I didn't think we were going to do voices yet and you stuck me with Billy West. <laughs> One of the most acclaimed voice actors ever. You idiot, Jake, you idiot. <laughs> My voice material possession. I can't do it, it's too- fuck I'm Jake, hi. Hi, I'm Jake Bruiser. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the show that you co-host. It is I. Uh, uh, I already introduced myself. Welcome to our Ren and Stimpy show. I'm so excited to do this episode. I know that John K is a total piece of shit, but we'll talk about that as well. The, I but, mean, we could do an entire episode on just like, so your, fa- so your favorite thing was done by a piece of shit. Exactly. A guide for the modern world. And it's one of those, though, where it's like, yeah, but like this, okay. If you don't know what's going on with Ren and Stimpy, I will just say for me personally, it was a bit of a bit of a comedy revolution for me in my household. Uh, I have ex- like a very distinct memory of literally like rolling around on the floor, holding my stomach, screaming with laughter while Happy Happy Joy Joy played. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, my brother and I just like. Rewatching over and over again, Space Madness. You because uh, they didn't finish the first six episodes, so they had to rerun it every oh, week. Oh my god, dude! They played it so. I remember is why you watched it over. And I over also again. remember. Yes, I also remember being just desperate for new Ren and Stimpy episodes, and just being like, "Why do they keep playing the same episodes?" Because it was inconceivable that cartoons were made by people. Because every week, okay, so that we kind of covered uh, in our actually in our Cartoon Network uh, episode. Uh, how Nicktoons kind of revitalized the entire industry. Yeah, completely. Um, and and it's almost out of ignorance that they did because uh, uh, they they didn't understand how the way things were done. And the way things were done was a bit dinosaurish, And it was a bit of a copy-paste job. Nickelodeon or? Nicktoons, yeah. Well, it's. In a certain way. Or at least, I mean, they kind of knew what they were doing. But at the end of the day, you know, they were the brilliant ones that said, hey, Maybe it should be the cartoonists that are making the cartoons, that are doing the writing, that are fully cartoonist created, as opposed to um, an executive saying, like, 
What toys sell to the kids really well? This toy, uh, uh, yeah. these like knights in shining armor toys. All right, let's have a cartoon about knights in shining armor. Let's have a cartoon about, uh, you know, robots that transform into vehicles. Yada, 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 right? But but this Nicktoons, I feel like we are definitely jumping ahead well, to a certain part of the thing, story. Uh, by, once again, we have stumbled ass backwards into a thing where to talk about Ren and Stimpy, you have to talk about the history of an entire art form. Yes. Completely. Uh, a lot of, literally 90% of my research uh, for this week comes from a book by uh, Tad Komarowski called Sick Little Monkeys, The Unauthorized <laughs> Ren Stimpy Story. And I found myself like two days into uh, this book still not having gotten to the actual cartoon Ren Stimpy because to get Ren and Stimpy, you have to understand the history of Western animation. Yeah. And uh, it all boils down to the fact that by the 1980s, Literally, like television animation had swallowed feature animation by and you know stuff like uh, uh, Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, uh, uh, Popeye the Sailor, Terry Tunes, the Fleischer Brothers. The, this entire like golden age industry, even Walt Disney was l- just fucking stumbling on banana peels and severed penises yes. this entire time in the 1980s. Cut off so- dicks, just blood flying <laughs> everywhere. Absolutely, hundred percent, Jake. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we're talking about the fact that like. Ren and Stimpy entered an animation world that was bleak as fuck. Yeah, and it was and it was definitely Ren and Stimpy was also entering the animation world from the mind of a guy who was fucking pissed about the state of animation was bitter as hell about the way he felt that him and his fellow colleagues that he considered to be artists were being treated and uh just the way that it was just this it was this factory of just pumping out the same stories over and over and over again using the same expressions because it was all stencil model copy paste job stuff and just the factory element of it like we just need to get this schlock to the kids as quickly as humanly possible as much as humanly possible so we can sell those toys so we can sell the advertisements you know what i mean and and uh he Really hated it. He really hated the, so, the the state of the business that he was walking into. Let's talk about let's talk. the guy. Let's talk about the guy. John K. Full name John Chris Falusi. Chris Falusi. I'm glad you said it first because I always doubt myself when saying this person's name out loud. But we'll just call him John K. His real name Michael John Chris Falusi. Born in 1955 in Quebec, Canada. Definitely a Canadian boy. His father served in the Royal Canadian Air Force, and that had him spending his early childhood in Germany and Belgium. So already he. Uh, you have to understand, like, this is already just a pitch-perfect, like, villain story. Uh-huh. Uh, because uh, I feel like I, I actually experienced a little bit of this. Uh, I moved when I was a young kid and had to, like, kind of reacclimate myself to, like, a group of strangers that had already, like, formed their cliques. And I felt like an outsider for a long time. And so did uh, John Kay. He was six years old, made it back to Canada, uh, mo- sat out most of the school year, and he ex- and he talks about just being fixated on television cartoons, on mm-hmm. reruns of old uh, Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera, and just, like, those cartoon characters were more real friends to him in that very isolated time yes. than he was. And he became obsessed. He was drawing. He was collecting comics. And apparently, too, he was, he was heavily bullied, and he talks about how this was... 
a lot of um, where his sense of humor came from. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you see the relationship between Ren and Stimpy. There's always a bullying nature a little bit to their relationship as characters. There's a bullying nature and a very weird relationship with authority. Yes. Uh, Always has had a problem with authority. He mentions that uh, it is very important for a young man to have a uh, authority figure who sends mixed messages because it, uh, it, it, it steals them against the bull crap. Yeah. that they will encounter in adult life. He said, a quote from him, the biggest motivating factor for me is that I think authority is funny. I'm always trying to buck it. And a lot of the most controversial things in the original run of Ren and Stimpy was scenes that invoked uh, characters like George Licker or uh, what was the name? Like uh, William's dad, the the fan. They visit a fan. It's from like season three or something. Anthony, Anthony's dad. These like really taught stressful confrontations yeah. with father figures yeah. who are like playing fucking mind games with Ren and Simpy and breaking them down psychologically. Personally, Holden, I never really laughed at Ren Stimpy. I was, I'm a couple of years younger than you. Oh, okay. I, I uh, Compared to Rugrats and Doug, which were much more whimsy based, much more like yeah. kind of friendly cartoons. The harshness and the oh alienness. Call the police. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm telling you. The the body horror of it. Uh, so even uh-huh. though I don't remember a lot of jokes, rewatching Ren and Stimpy, the imagery oh, yeah. was burned the, into the and, deepest recesses of my mind. And he talks a lot, and, and there's a lot about Ren and Stimpy when it comes to the acting of the characters. And it's not just in the voice work. It's in the expressions of the acting. It was so memorable to me. Like, every... All of those like beautifully painted close-up shots too of, <laughs> of disgusting stuff. I loved the disgusting nature. Accompanied of it. by that, it really was a revelation for me. I like, I, I there was nothing on t- on TV like it. Mm-hmm. I was the perfect age for it. I loved how fucked up it was. I loved how gross it was. Everything about it was just like this. Nothing is like this. This is so funny, and this is so just completely completely over the top and i had problems with authority and i had problems you know uh uh with other kids at school and blah 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 you know what i mean or felt weird or felt different and this spoke to me on such a deep level and the insanity of it spoke to me on such a deep comedic level i love and i watched space madness again last night and i was laughing and i was transported back to that time (laughs) the extreme nature of the emotions in Ren and Stimpy is just so wonderful to me. Just how wonderfully bizarre it was. And 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 bizarre is the word. It was so unique for mm-hmm. the time. Like it was just you never knew where an episode was gonna go. God, I love the one the the it's it's in the same Space Madness episode, but the sh- push the shiny candy like button. <laughs> oh, yeah. Will he push the button? <laughs> like it's this announcer guy just screaming about he's not supposed to push this one button, and he's just like getting raked over the coals about not pushing this button, and then he finally does it, and like existence ceases as we know it. I mean, it was so many great. Oh, if you want to see an amazing piece of, uh, I know. Uh, like honestly, like pause this and go watch it right now. You can find it online. You can find it everywhere. Uh, Sven Hoek uh-huh. was an episode that was like left over uh, when they kind of switched animation studios. But Ren's fucking breakdown at the end of that, where he just was like, "And I'm gonna pull your arms out of their sockets," <laughs> is animated so incredibly. Yes, and you are just in the fucking rage zone. It is 
like it is alive and breathing in a way that nothing else on TV yes. possibly could. There be. was a detail to it, and this is going to feed into a lot of the issues with the show and why they couldn't get episodes out as quickly. There was a lot of issue with that. So John Chris Felusi, lover of animation, lover of cartoons, uh, goes to Sheridan College to become an animator. Yes, and uh, immediately gets too caught up in partying and flunks out. <laughs> yes, um, and while he's there, he's spending a lot of time at screenings of old films and cartoons at nearby Ennis College, led by film archivist Reg Reg Hart, who also turned out to be a total creepo. He got inspired by the cartoons of specifically, most importantly, Bob Clampett, who did Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies, as well as Tex Avery, um, who's well-known for Droopy and all sorts of distorted, bizarre, crazy, and... Um, the uh, If you remember that cartoon where the sexy lady gives, gives it a little dance and then the wolf just fucking loses his brains? Yes, I love that cartoon. And that And I loved Tex Avery cartoons as well, so it makes a lot of sense that, like, Droopy, I had a bunch of Droopy stuffed animals when I was growing up. I loved Droopy cartoons or any Tex Avery stuff. I loved that cartoon. The the over-the-top expressiveness, the just the extreme nature of things. And, I mean, this is really what inspired me for comedy later i mean i think murder fist is highly inspired by ren and stimpy um henry and ed and i we would all we would share talk about our love for it is a lot of burly men screaming and and one thing oh one thing i meant to throw in here too before we get back into john k's uh entry uh into the uh creative world the his career um one super important thing was uh, that my parents were disgusted by it and totally <laughs> and totally didn't get it and totally were like alienated by the fact that my brother and I loved it so much and that was such a huge part of it and I and I and, and reading quotes from him it makes so much sense. Um, I love this quote from him. I'm on the kids' side. You poor kids. You have to go to school during the week. You have to go to church on Sunday. You have to listen to your parents give you rules after school. You have to do your goddamn homework. You, you don't want to get morals in your television shows, movies, and cartoons, yet everyone wants to give them to you. They're nonstop authority figures. My idea was to give kids at least a half hour off every week when they don't have somebody telling them what to do. And that really was so much of the draw for Ren and Simbi. They're just gross and insane. And they're, you know, and again, it's like giving the kids a little bit of respect. Like, we want darkness. Like, the dark turn of Ren's insanity in Space Madness is hilarious to us. Like, we don't just need, uh, we don't need uh, hand-holding when it comes to extreme emotions. You know what I mean? There was uh, an incident uh, where, I believe, Powdered Toast Man yeah. uh, burns the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights as kindling uh, in, the office, in the Oval Office that uh, got an FCC complaint. Uh, saying that uh, you know the old lady that happened to watch this was horrified and that the show should be taken off the air because it has no social value whatsoever, not realizing that that's the selling point of the show. One of my favorite memories I have is convincing my mom to let me purchase a shirt from like one of those surf shops <laughs> on summer vacation. There was Ren and Stimpy. It was like it was Ren just like vomiting all over the place <laughs> and Stimpy just kind of hanging out and it just said blowing chunks. <laughs> underneath it and i'm like please mom and i could i got to to purchase it but under the one condition that i could never leave the house wearing it you know and mm. and i had and i had another ren and simbi shirt that i cherished i mean i just adored adored the show and so much of that came from the fact that my parents didn't get it that it was speaking my language and authority figures and people older than me just could not hang or handle it which surprises me now because 
watching Space Madness just now, I'm watching, I'm like, this is brilliant stuff. This is brilliant comedy, brilliant cartoon performance. Like, everything about it is great. Okay, so anyways, just had to throw that out there. Getting back to um, his expulsion, that happens in 1978. uh, And then he moves to L.A. to become an animator and ends up befriending his idol, Bob Clampett. John K. Not just befriending, but, like, he becomes an integral part of uh, the Clampett family's life. Yes. Uh, In a way that a lot of, like, kind of uh, protégés of a dead art form will kind of discover their heroes in dire straits. Yeah. Uh, An example that is pointed to a lot is um, uh, Tex Avery, who we just mentioned, genius Tex Avery, literally died working on a shitty Hanna-Barbera cartoon called Quickie Koala that was just, like, half-assed versions of old Roadrunner jokes. And the state of affairs for all these guys at this point is pretty dire through uh bob clampett he is introduced to a man named milt gray uh who had a classical animation class and milt gray was working at filmation at the time and he ended up getting john k a job with filmation making pretty kind of just like the copy paste cartoons so wait a minute you're saying that this guy who treasured cartoons and animation his entire life whose only friends growing up as a bully child were just the cartoon characters on the tv screen and he got to work for filmation yeah the legendary animation studio responsible for he-man and she-ra and all sorts of beloved cartoon franchises it must have been great he refers to these cartoons that he was working on as the worst animation of all time oh uh he was it's smurfs and strawberry shortcake john k says they were really boring and the cartoonists didn't really have any creativity didn't have any say in what we were doing. We just had to draw these evil scripts, these retarded script guys were giving, were sending us. And by the way, I can say that word because I'm quoting John Kay. Uh, I mean, you literally can't <laughs> not say it if you're quoting John I Kay. I know, he <laughs> says it a lot. He even refers to Stimpy as retarded. If you've ever wanted to uh, hear someone uh, use the word cocksucker 47 times while talking about Huckleberry Hound, <laughs> listen to a John Kay interview. He, he even said he was a, a, a curmudgeon since the age of 11. He oh, is just he, like a... Uh, curses Again, like a sailor just m- more like uh more villain origin story uh he gave a talk where he described uh like watching in real time as oh no two two horrifying childhood stories from john k one is he remembers the vivid memory of seeing culture transition from the 60s to the 70s and how much he hated the rise of disco and how much he <laughs> hated hippies yes. and how much he was like he said, like, the hippies ruined everything. Yeah, um, and, like, gave rise to everyone without talent considering themselves an artist. He's an old-timey guy who only who really specifically loves the golden age of cartoons and everything going on before he was one of those guys. I was I was born in the wrong age. He was know? definitely the wrong generation personified. Second uh, villain origin story. He talks about how his, uh, again, very complicated and kind of uh, borderline emotionally abusive father was so scared that his fancy artistic lad, uh, who was like showing up to school in a bow tie and a briefcase and singing Frank Sinatra songs, yes. was gay. And so he literally, his dad planted Playboy magazines in his closet. <laughs> and then when confronted about it, it was like, oh, I didn't think, I'm going to do whatever. I didn't think you were like, I, I was hoping you weren't a fag. So I just like did that. You're welcome, son. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. That is insane. So like, Already just a lovely boiling mess for like a, a volatile person. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and he would talk about during this time as well about how um, they really believed in these studios that there were only seven stories to tell. 
And that, that was the only type of stories you could tell, just seven different st story types. And again, they would copy paste on everything. And his big issue really was that writers were not the cartoonists. They were a separate gig. And he said, not every artist is a writer. Not every musician is a writer. But would you want somebody to write a symphony who wasn't a musician? Would you want somebody to write a science book who didn't know science? You write what you know. So why would you come into the animation business not able to draw and all of a sudden you want to tell all the people who do know how the stuff works and what to do? You don't know anything about the art of it. I mean, yeah, physically you can write, but you're going to make every artist hate your guts and you're going to make crap. It won't stand the test of time because it's just not utilizing the media. I kind of agree with that in, in, mm, to a certain degree. It depends on what you're going for. Like his whole weird gatekeepy thing, like the literally one of the like – the the spumco like uh founding doctrines was like if you can't draw you have no like role in this building right but like then you don't have the simpsons in their golden years then you don't have like so many brilliant animated works it's true it really is tied into exactly what but for the, for spumco it's true right because for, which is by the way the um the company the the, the animation up, studio that which they, we'll get to we'll get which to. we'll get to but uh you know because Ren and Stimpy is so specifically based in performance of the of the characters mm -hmm. it's so specifically based in the animation and having these really detailed moments of especially the emotion but any kind of moment you know uh going on in that it it's all specifically tied whereas the simpsons is more of a, like a sitcom mm -hmm. you know it, it's got more of the elements of that where they're really just kind of and they're it, it's it's oh, it can be over the top and they can do a lot of visual gags and stuff no i mean simpsons was literally uh it became an issue for the makers of the simpsons that their animation teams were getting too cartoony and that there was yeah. too much yeah. stretch and squash and the, like, now if you watch the simpsons it's the stiffest animation in the history like I, yeah it, Second only to like Seth MacFarlane because at least even, like the Simpsons have dimensionality to him. I haven't even looked at a new <laughs> Simpsons episode and I don't know how fucking long. Uh, I feel like the golden years is when they kind of reached a nice middle ground. But anyway, but they were like literally just basically the idea that I'm trying to stress is like John K comes out with this like fuck this like this is the only way you do it when like literally doing the exact opposite of what you're doing is responsible for also one of the most brilliant animated yeah. shows of agreed. all time. Agreed, agreed, Um John Kay, uh, during that time, again, I talked about how they would just trace models. He said, all of my bosses always told me, don't ever draw anything, John. Just trace the model sheet. Everything you need is right there. I hated that. And, you know, I think really at the end of the day, not that, I mean, he, by the way, I, will, I need to re-acknowledge, he is a self-admitted absolute curmudgeon. But it does seem like that ideology was heavily pushed um, on him or for him. Like, he, he got to that ideology from this incredibly negative experience. And it does sound like a very just unenjoyable experience like oh you're a really talented artist you're really good at drawing not just only that, trace but it, this thing it's just a generation it. that like grew up like the the people telling him to compromise were the people that learned the hard way that they had to compromise yeah uh, these were the and it'll kind of go into the theme of the kind of conflict that is the production of Ren and stimpy whereas the people that were entering the animation industry entered the animation industry not because they were from that first generation that revolutionized it and then had to condense it and streamline it because capitalism destroys everything. It's because they entered it because of the artistry. It was the artistry that inspired them. And then they had to find out that, no, you don't, you can't, 
use any of that. You can't expand. You can't add anything. Yeah. We've adapted, and this is the bad new way. He does end up working with Ralph Bakshi, who yes. we keep bouncing around because he's such this weird countercultural figure. Famously, during his interview, Ralph Bakshi sat uh, John K. down and showed him a one-minute uh, short that he had produced and uh, asked John his honest opinion. And John told Ralph uh, it was the worst piece of shit he'd ever seen, <laughs> which caused Ralph Bakshi to, in his thick Brooklyn accent, uh, just be like, finally, someone who wasn't a goddamn yes man. <laughs> ah, this guy, I'm going to kick your ass, kid, but you're working for me. So Ralph Bakshi uh, saves, as John K. puts it, him from these awful cartoons. Bakshi, of course, by the way, Fritz the Cat. Uh, cool world. Heavy traffic, very mm-hmm. underappreciated. Does very alt, uh, you know, counterculture type animation projects, but also is in the system mm-hmm. as well, you know, because everybody's got to eat, right? So because he- there's uh, there's this weird – people don't quite understand this, but, like, there's the major studios, there's uh, offshore uh, animation, like, mills. Uh, and then there's just all these like little animation houses that just do contract work yeah. for commercials or TV specials or kind of just take over scenes that for other shows that are running like uh, behind schedule. Mm-hmm. There's an there was like this entire micro economy of animation houses where it wasn't all consolidated between like uh, single like creators and giant studios. Yeah, absolutely. there was a, there was a vibrant ecosystem. Absolutely. So a guy like Ralph Bakshi could survive and live even though he like made all these like crazy expensive flops like fire and ice and lord of the rings <laughs> uh and so Bakshi pulls pulls uh john k in to work on a later to be canceled film bobby's girl uh and then under Bakshi, he joins uh he uh john k directs the animation for the harlem shuffle uh, music video by the rolling i still Stones. can't believe this was a hit you like listen to the song itself and yeah, you're just like it's like jeez it's down to the left and it's, to the right. It is so like We're the down, bad. There are black people everywhere. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. He's, I'm it, Mick Jagger. Black people like me. It is definitely, the I would say, the bad years of Rolling Stones. <laughs> um, yeah, it is such a funny uh, music video. They're all in these like zoot suits, like pink and purple zoot suit stuff. And then you cut to these like horny cats in an alleyway that look very John K. Well, here's the thing. It looks very John K. It has that John K. energy. But he was he wasn't even like technically the official animation director. And those designs, those uh, those very John K. designs are actually the work of uh, Lynn Naylor, who was his girlfriend that they met at Sheridan. And it kind of like was she 12? No, <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, they met and shared it, and like it's oddly enough, she's this very like soft spoken person. You can like find interviews with her. She ended up, uh, she ended up at DreamWorks. Like when all is said and done, she's this animation veteran. A lot of like the early Ren and Stimpy kind of designs are very influenced by her. Their styles kind of merge together, and they had been dating for a very long time. In fact, uh, when you think of like those cute Ren and Stimpy girls. That's like Lynn Naylor. She was basically the only woman on staff uh-huh. uh, throughout the entire formation of Spumco and the first season of Ren and Stimpy. A lot of like Stimpy's general God, acting I'd love and sit, performances. I'd love to sit down with her, man. Holy shit. Well, it was kind of a not-so-secret secret that the kind of relationship that Ren and Stimpy had where like there was this passive kind of kind person and this like toxic asshole. <laughs> Was based on their interplay. Interesting. Eventually, uh, 
yada 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 i i just want to stress that she was very integral to a lot of uh john k's early work cool and uh she ended up jumping ship when they broke up to work with bruce tim on the uh batman the animated series where she drastically changed a lot of the uh a lot of the female character designs again because she was just like this one quiet lady that managed to like survive in this very testosterone isolated world of animation and like so basically in a, in a in a roundabout way like we wouldn't have Harley Quinn as we know her today awesome. if not for her i and it's so this is where we get to a really cool part of the story for me when i was doing research and i was like whoa what this is when we get to mighty mouse the new adventures oh my god which i had no idea i love learning about shit like this jake because it's like you know, you, you these are these things that like I've never heard of, but mm. this one TV show is is uh, it's like a big bang bum, for bum, modern bum, 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 day cartoon shows as we know it, mm. it, it, animation as we know it, especially on television. It's shocking how many people can, and how many giant shows came out of this specific project, which is oddly enough a Mighty Mouse reboot called Mighty Mouse The New Adventures, which I have never heard of before, much less realized that it was the- Well, you've heard of Mighty Mouse. Of course I've heard of Mighty Mouse, but I'm talking about- Here I come to save, save the, the day. day. Of course I have. Mighty Mouse is on. But, but it's this It's very is... weird that Andy Kaufman used Mighty Mouse as like one of his springboard bits because it's so straight-laced. Yeah. And that the idea of introducing chaos to it was so out of the ordinary that that's why that joke worked. Yeah. And then like- in a roundabout way, like Bakshi, they, they did the same thing. Yeah. Well, they just because this character was so square. It's literally in the 1940s. Terry Dunes created a character that was like, "Fuck it, what's popular? Superman, Superman and, yeah, and Mickey Mouse. Mouse. Superman and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Super Mouse. So, Fuck you, it's Super Mouse. Eat it up, you fucking 1940s depressionary shitheads. So all of these great animators and all of these great shows come from this collaborative work. Bakshi is the supervising director. John Kay is a senior director on the project. It aired on CBS on Saturday mornings from 1987 to 1989. And it really, it really started a revolution for just a much zanier, much more wild contribution to children's entertainment. There's an entire episode that is just a prolonged swipe at Alvin and the Chipmunks and the shitty uh, Bagnosian, I think, is the creator of the Chipmunks who, like, Famously was a cheapskate who fucked over animation studios. So they just did a whole episode just just fucking dunking on him. That's awesome. And suggesting that like uh Alvin and the Chipmunks were like kidnapped, like sex slaves, basically. <laughs> um so Bakshi gets a pitch to CBS and uh he 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 goes in and he makes this big pitch. Actually, John Kay's or original versions of what would become Ren and Stimpy are in the mix in this pitch a little bit, apparently. Um, and so he's with uh, the Saturday morning head of the, or the head of the Saturday morning block, Judy Print Price. And he, the pitch is not working. And he is at a weird moment where, th this happens in every pitch meeting, by the way. They go, they you have this big prepared pitch. You sit down, you lay it all out, you're all excited about it, and then they go, what else you got? <laughs> and then you just pull some bullshit out of your whole ass. And in this moment, he's just like, oh, uh, I have the rights to Mighty Mouse. And she goes, okay. 
Let's. I will buy a series with Mighty Mouse. There's there's weird different versions of that story. Okay, because I was gonna say he he apparently. So this is my version. He didn't actually know who owned the rights, and then he did some research and realized that CBS actually had them. And then he was quoted to say, "I sold them a show they already owned, so they just gave the rights for nothing." <laughs> Whether yeah, I in the which in the, I love to think is true. That it, it, that's it, a very good version of the of the story in the book. They go back and say like. No, fucking Bakshi was a professional. He looked up what properties Viacom owns. Yeah, yeah, and and did that. So I, I, your prop that is probably the version that is correct. But I do love to think that Bakshi was just super stoned and was just like, um, I've got Mighty Mouse, but, <laughs> just out of the blue, like a random shot in the dark, because it happens to so many people in pitch rooms. So he gets to na- just a, just to name a few of the people on this, Jim Reardon. He's a uh, who ends up being a writer for Tiny Two Adventures. He writes Wally, uh, Bruce W. Tim, producer of Batman the Animated Series, a show we have to cover at some point on this. It'll be amazing. It'll be great. It's one of the greatest superhero cartoon shows. One of the greatest animated shows ever made. Maybe the definitive version of Batman. Maybe ever made. Maybe Rich Moore, director of The Simpsons, as well as Wreck It Ralph and Zootopia. These are just massive players in the animation game even today making giant giant uh hits and um this is which mighty mouse the new adventures was not one of them yes yeah exactly that's the other crazy thing john k supervises production on the first season he directs eight of the 26 segments and it was described as a creative revolution for him especially compared to the cartoons that were being made everywhere else and that he hired artists as he put it dissatisfied with the formula cartoons they were forced to work on at other studios who were also willing to work for under union scale mm-hmm. and he went back to the old time director unit system three or four directors theoretically supervise all of the creative aspects of each individual cartoon as opposed to having completely separate directors of animation and what was the other one of story i can't remember what the other one there's the three stages are uh well four if you are a a writer cuck yeah uh, (laughs) is writing uh storyboard layout and then final animation um, yeah, they were all segmented and split up. And this is saying they went back to like, no, everyone is working on every part of the process so that the whole thing feels way more cohesive. The show, yeah, it's it's tw- 26 segments. That's it. it. It's not a huge hit. Uh, the critical response is amazing. And that's yeah. what keeps it afloat. Not only that, but uh, with Bakshi as like the kind of corporate facing head, the uh, underlings that we just named get to work with what they think is total freedom, not realizing that Bakshi is butting heads with the studio every single like uh, time. Yeah, and um, and John Kay gets a taste of this with the next project, unless mm. you have anything else to say about it. All, all I have to say is definitely check out The New Adventures, or, or Mighty Mouse, rather, The New Adventures. It's uh, They have stuff on YouTube. It's a fascinating, just like Rosetta Stone mm-hmm. of of like uh, this this cornerstone of animation it's like this crazy thing it's a relic is what i think the word i was really looking for now i said all of them cornerstone rosetta stone and relic it's all three of those things you know what i'm saying listeners Mm -hmm. so you listen listeners i'm not tired okay i had a good night's sleep i didn't drink too much uh with ben kissel at smackdown last night (laughs) and i'm feeling really mentally prepared to have a full conversation for over an hour about written is it uh, is it a coincidence that i can your forehead veins are spelling the words help me (laughs) it's like odd, right? Yeah, I'm like I'm like vibrating <laughs> from coffee, but like 
nothing, you know what I mean? That the synapses aren't like firing especially better from the coffee. It's like everything's counteractive. Anyways, back to this. Now, John Kay gets a little taste of what um, Bakshi was dealing with during Mighty Mouse The New Adventures with the execs on his next project, The New Adventures of Beanie and Cecil. Beanie and Cecil was originally a cartoon show created by Bob Clampett, as mentioned before, and he is it's about a boy and his sea serpent friend going on adventures a together. A seasick sea serpent. A seasick sea serpent, and it was originally actually a puppet show called Time for Beanie. And it was one of the first three color TV series by ABC, along with Flintstones and the Jetsons. And it's odd to me that if it really was this show that was a hit for uh, Clampett that was alongside Flintstones and the Jetsons, how come I have never heard of this fucking show before? Uh, I have, like, weird flashes of it in, like, my mind's eye, like, in my grandparents' home on a black-and-white CRT in their kitchen. Hmm, interesting. But, yeah, they didn't end up airing a lot of episodes. Okay. Uh, it just didn't have the same notoriety. It didn't have the same the place ca- and time that well, Flintstones. I feel like Flintstones and Jetsons are just it was in- household yeah, it was in- entities. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it didn't run for a very long time. In fact, that was the major knock against it was that it really wasn't a beloved show even at its time. Mm. Um, or at least it didn't make a cultural impact as high as like Howdy Doody or something. And uh, the only reason John Kay got to do it is because it was the it was the Bob Clampett family that yeah. trust only trusted John right. to do it. Although his uh, issues with production and his issues butting up against the studio heads. Tons. Actually, in the end, the Clampett family were like, hey, could you fucking cool up? This might be like our only chance to earn money off of our overworked revolutionary like science, like patriarch. Right. This is funny. Uh, John Kay, very embittered about studio meddling, did not want a writer, but was forced to have one, and he fucking hated him with all of his guts. He said he wrote <laughs> shitty scripts. He was a hack. He was, uh, it was bullshit that he even like had to part of the creative process. The asshole, get this, couldn't draw. Uh huh. Piece of shit. You should be arrested. Ideas for stories when you can't fucking dox him. What's his address, Jake? Uh, well, uh, you probably all have bad luck uh, getting a hold of him. It's Chuck fucking Laurie. (laughs) Ah, it's Chuck Laurie. Why? Why is he haunting us? Why won't he let us go? Why does he keep coming back into our world over and over again? Bazinga! Bazinga, Chuck. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Wizard and the Bruiser a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at wizard.robinhood.com. Once again, that's wizard.robinhood.com. Yes, so the show, ABC canceled the show after just five episodes, feeling it is not suitable for children. So I really want to go track that show down as well and get a taste of what was so edgy and adult about it. But this is the final step 
before he gets his huge break and becomes essentially a sort of a household name. Um, so, Ren and Stimpy originally were created by John, apparently, in 1978 for his own amusement while at Sheridan College. Ren Hook was inspired by an Elliot Irwin photograph, or Irwitz, Elliot Irwitz photograph. Can, I posted the photo on Twitter. Good. It's very funny. It's very funny. Check it out. It's this dog, like, this little chihuahua with a sweater on next to, like, a, a lady, like, in, in, like, a heel or whatever. Uh, Elliot Irwitz did a lot of dog photos. He loved absurdity in everyday life. Uh, his pho- photography is great, so definitely check it out. And definitely check out New York City, 1946. That is the Elliot Irwitz photograph that is uh, this inspiration of Wren. Stimpy's design was inspired by a Tweety Bird cartoon called A Gruesome Twosome featuring cats with big noses. Again, look it up. You can definitely see the inspiration. Uh, the name Stimpy was actually uh, originated from a just a National Lampoon comedy record. But uh, it was used as a derogatory nickname to uh, Chris Felucci's roommates, <laughs> uh, Harold. Interesting. Um, uh, his girlfriend at the time, Lynn Naylor, also happened to name one of her stray cats Stimpy. Hmm. Uh, Ren Hoek is uh, the actual name of the, uh, Chris Felucci's landlord. Ha. And a buddy of his began cracking up hysterically when he saw the name on, his, on uh, Chris Felucci's mailbox. That's fucking awesome. So uh, Nickelodeon approaches John Kay. Before that, uh, John Kay, uh, kind of embittered from his experience, takes Lynn, takes... uh, Jim Smith, Bob Camp? uh, Jim Smith, Bob, yeah. And these are the four big shots, as they call themselves. Lynn Naylor was a layout layout artist on Mighty Mouse. Bob Camp uh, did uh, Tiny Toon Adventures and Real Ghostbusters. Jim Smith did Mighty Mouse and Tiny Toon Adventures. These are all... People working together, doing all that stuff, and they, um, are you getting to them co-founding a little named studio named Spumco? They formed Spumco, which was more of an artist collective than an actual animation house. They did a lot of illustration work. They did a lot of uh, commercial art. They did a lot of commercial art, uh, especially because between the four of them, they really nailed down a kind of counterculture pop art aesthetic that uh, was a little bit in demand at the time, but their main goal was to sell a TV show. Yes. And sell a TV show, they did. Uh, So Nickelodeon, they want to do a little something different, you Mm -hmm. know? Nickelodeon's like, we want to have a cartoon block. It's weird to think about a time when Nickelodeon didn't have a cartoon block, but it was a time. Nickelodeon did a lot more live action stuff, right? You can't say that on television. They did game shows. They did all this stuff involving real kids. Uh, and you know. I believe John Kay referred to it as cheap garbage where kids throw slime at each other. <laughs> or I don't even think he dignified slime. I think the quote was like green stuff. <laughs> and so they want to do something a little different. And they want to, as I previously stated earlier in the show, do uh, have a cartoon block that is created by cartoonists. It's like by cartoonists for cartoonists, essentially. But it's not by cartoonists for, for cartoonists. By cartoonists for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they want to get away from the studio thing. And I really respect them for this. And you can see this. And I mean, all of it would get merchandised eventually. But especially when, when Nicktoons first started, it, there was no merchandise to be had for any of these shows. They which is, needed original properties yeah. to merchandise. And uh, they're just uh, the founding of Nickelodeon as a spinoff of like kind of within MTV. 
gave them like a little bit of a fucking artistic ethos of some mm-hmm, kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the freedom of being a cable network also gave them a little more wiggle room. They needed to differentiate themselves. So John Kay presents three shows, uh, and this is to Vanessa Coffey, the president of animation. Whose name production. has come up uh, before. She came up in She's uh, brilliant. the Invader Zim thing. She seems really brilliant. So this is another thing I want to address. Whenever John Kay talks about like the suits or like the studio, he specifically refers to like the two female development executives that worked with him who also worked on all sorts of beloved children's show who seem from the outset to have a keen eye for like actual good right. shows like, and animators who like their job is to guide those creative forces. suits, but they're the best possible suits. And in a he disparages way. them constantly, calls them old hippie ladies, dykes, like just shits all over them and makes them like the big bad guys in his grand story. When really like considering what they got away with, like they were saints by TV executive standards and just the bare minimum of like rolling back that like they did happen to give them are like probably what made the show like more accessible and more beloved than just like having a 40 minute fucking weird psychosis parent beatdown episode. Yeah. In fact, they uh, uh, they end up having a trade-off where it's like, all right, give us a wholesome one and then you can do your crazy yeah. <laughs> bullshit. Uh, so he presents a variety show called Your Gang or Our Gang that had a live-action host presenting cartoons parodying a different genre and Ren and Stimby's, uh, Stimby were the pets of one of the children on the show. So Vanessa Coffey, dissatisfied with the other pitches, says, hey, I, I like the dog and cat. Can you just do a show specifically based around them? And that's how they get to go into production on a pilot starting in 1989. They also picked a different idea, Jimmy the Idiot Boy. But um, John K. At ended the time, up- the character was called Jimmy the Retarded Boy. <laughs> of course. Uh, but John K. ended up going with Ren and Stimpy instead. He claims he won in that one because he got to keep the superior character. Sure, John. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> if you ever watch one of those indie like John whatever the idiot boy cartoons, they're fucking terrible. <laughs> so it was and a- the George Licker cartoons are also terrible. Uh-huh. Almost as if he's not that great. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, the things we love about his show is a result of many different influences yeah. and artists coming together to collaborate and create something. I think what was more important for him was instilling a very specific process with his staff mm-hmm. and then letting just uh, opening the doors for a collaborative process that would create no, something No, he great. would uh pr- production into a standstill as he hand redrew in everybody's work. Oh, okay. Uh creating weeks of backlog that was almost impossible to overcome. Well, still I, I he still he set up all the pieces for a for a good He definitely thing. gave a lot of cool feel good rules about what animation should be that inspired other people. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh could you tell I'm biased here? <laughs> Uh, I just I love the product so much that it's it's hard for me to like completely shit on all of it. So they're in a small office in 1989 in the heart of Hollywood, and the timing lines up perfectly uh, with Nickelodeon looking for the for these these specific kinds of shows. They get this show, and part of part of getting the show is John Kay actually gets to lead Nickelodeon executives through a background of cartoonists, the animation industry, and the process of animating the show. And to do this, he actually uses storyboards with cartoons. So he's onboarding them for, you know, their their whole in-house studio in the future. He gets to sit down with them and show them and 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 bring them in uh, up to date on where we're at as an industry and why what's going on everywhere else is terrible. So again, might have a little bit to thank for 
all like you know even spongebob and all these great shows that came later because he was essentially like hanna-barbera bad uh mm. make let's do it like this <laughs> like so uh that initial pilot is kind of draws on all four of the quote big shot strengths in fact it was actually kind of a struggle because for all of um chris Felucci's like highfalutin like ideas about animation he was mostly like the actual raw number of like frame to frame animation that he had done wasn't that much compared to other people that he had been working with uh like lynn naylor had way more like pencil mileage under her belt and bob camp as well and so like uh the stimpy scenes were done by lynn and uh like the visual comedy stuff like uh you know when they were fl- uh, when they get like spatula off the sidewalk in the uh pilot uh is there uh Tim Smith, I think, was his name. Mm. Uh, he was the guy that did like the really Jim good. Jim Smith. Jim Smith did the really good animation of all those burly dudes. Yeah. Like when you think of that Ren and Stimpy burly oh, dude I animation, love it. I love that stuff. And what should have been an eight-minute short took them a year to complete because they wanted to get it right. Yeah, there's and, a lot of perfectionism going on. And and again, I have to stress, you've got if you rewatch Ren and Stimpy. There are all these like beautifully deep and with deep detail painted stills. Oh uh, yeah, and, uh, and, that's Bill Ray, another yeah. name we have to mention. Yeah, who was a longtime friend of uh, Chris Lucy, who worked on a bunch of these similar animation projects. Who kind of like dabbled in and out of the animation world. He did a lot of work for Mad Magazine. He is a very talented illustrator. But those like he 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 uh, kind of developed the weird abstract colorful background aesthetic for the show. And uh, in one of his big jobs was to make those gross close-ups. Yeah, which is uh, are unbelievably awesome. Uh, really fantastic stuff. Another two group of people that were essential for the success of uh, Ren Stimpy and the pilot to even get uh, greenlit is a, a studio known as Carbuncle Cartoons. Carbuncle Cartoons, led by Bob Jacques and Kelly Armstrong. Now, if you look at the animation reels for these two people... Uh, you will find basically every memorable shot in the show. John Kay has them to thank. He's he's attributed uh, thanks to them for the beautiful animation of the show's best episodes, along with improving acting with subtle nuances. Unlike the work done by overseas animation studios, they would really get in there and just create these amazing, intimate moments with these characters. Um, they were an animation studio out of Canada. Uh, Bob Jacques was an animation director on Uncle Grandpa and SpongeBob. And is also, um, they're also very known for a lot of very specific approaches that Ren and Stimpy like to take. Uh, one of which, uh, two of which are kind of opposites of each other. Animation bump, which is when animation goes from really loose to very detailed, like we were just describing. And also off model, when animation goes from very detailed to like way worse, like <laughs> oversimplified. As well as very deranged animation, really like twisted faces and everything that and, and that that all I think very well. Describes. Are you familiar with the term sakuga? No, I'm uh, not familiar with the term in sakuga because ja- uh, in Japanese anime, uh, it was not uncommon to have a very cheaply produced cartoon have one major shot or one set piece all of a sudden yes. like get turned up to a million with yes. like the frame rate and the detail and the amount of care and the camera angles all of, like just out of nowhere, just money, just money on screen. And uh, they literally, during production, would, like, tease out individual episodes to be made by Carbuncle because they were, like, a small team based in Vancouver. It was more expensive than sending it overseas. And um, the, uh, like, what really made John Kay obsessive 
was knowing that the like the episodes that would get sent to Carbuncle would be classics that yeah. they would have the amount of care that he believed a cartoon should have and so to get every single ounce of quality out of that uh process he would get obsessive and order redraws and re layouts and re storyboards to the point of just going in on himself and just like changing stuff that other people had already worked on so like it's when you think of like that good quality uh, Ren and Stimpy animation, you're thinking of Carbuncle. Uh, animator Vince Waller says about working on the show, working on Ren and Stimpy and SpongeBob was very similar. They're both storyboard-driven shows, which means they give us an outline from a pr uh, premise after the premise has been approved. We take the outline and expand on it, writing the dialogue and gags. That was very familiar. Uh, the layout stage was reintroduced, and they reemphasized the storyboard stage. Storyboard stage, most important, right? There. So, in other words... The writing and the visualization of the imagery, the writing and the illustration were happening together, forming together. The animation was leading the writing. The writing was leading the animation and back and forth, but it was this cohesive thing, which I think is a lot of what makes Ren and Stimpy so unique, especially to other cartoons of the time. Uh, no, the, the, the fact that a funny enough drawing is a reason enough to put it in a show. Yeah. Uh, a space Madness that he always popped to. Those expressions, those like crazy... I'm thinking of when uh, Ren's head like literally pops off the top and he's just like shaking around like a symbol. Mm -hmm. That was like Bob Camp, and like that's that was the point of that scene. Is yeah. he was great at drawing crazy Ren faces. Yeah, and so we and and crazy Ren is just mwah, the best. Uh, also, Stimpy's <laughs> invention, another one that is built on uh, Bob Camp doing crazy takes of uh, of Ren faces. Uh, John K kind of like putting the emotional transitions between those crazy takes and then handing him off to Carbuncle who exquisitely animates them. And by the way, we talk about how the animation was harkening back to the Golden Age, but a lot of the content was also parodying the Golden Age or or uh, at least it would it would start as the Golden Age, like a very traditional Golden Age cartoon and then twist into this current like total madness. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, first of all, the commercials, Log, which is, you know, the best. Sugar Frosted Milk. Sugar Frosted Milk. So, log for girls. In other words, having in-show commercials mm. for products that were also in the actual, like, content of the show as well. That was an old school thing, right? I remember I used to watch Burns and Gracie with uh, my, my parents. Wow. Like, just, they were showing reruns. It wasn't, like, when it was first airing. It was on, uh, like... No, my version with the fetus time machine is way funnier. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? So... Uh, but they would literally be doing a sitcom, and then Burns and Gracie would just stop <laughs> everything and do an advertisement, like, inside the show. Now, and Winston then go back. cigarettes are what a cigarette should be. Exactly. And they and, and Hawk and Item themselves, because there were no actual commercial breaks back then. And they did that a lot with, um, with this show. But also just there was, like, a very heavy sense of, like, 50s... Oh no! The the uh, show nostalgia, is nostalgia. Very like the music, the the you know cookie cutter home life kind of the stuff. The technology, mm -hmm. the the yeah no no it is like that's another reason why I think the show kind of like didn't hit with me is that I did not even have the baseline of cultural like context to like know why a, like just having a weird Kirk Douglas head float in the middle of a scene yeah. was supposed to be funny. I was just like. Who is that weird man? I do not know who that man is. That man does not represent anything. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the voice acting. Rin was done by John K. Styled as a demented Peter Laurie again throwback. 
Peter Lorre, the Hungarian actor best known for films like The Maltese Falcon. Um, Skimpy was... Exactly right, yes. Yes, and that's why Skimpy is like this. No, no, wait, Ren is... Wait, oh no, I'm thinking of Lon Chaney. Or Ren is like, Ren is like this. Um, Skimpy was voiced by Billy West, who did Roger Klotz in Doug. He was Fry and Zoidberg, among others, on Futurama, and lots, lots more. We've definitely talked about Billy People West People say before. the voice is based on Larry from Three Stooges, which I can kind of get. If you watch clips of it, it's very, like, it, it has that same, like, wow. it's a dumb hey. softness. It's like an, it's an eager, dumb softness that uh, – Literally every other dumb, like uh, every other dumb guy voice in cartoons, all the way up to Hanna Barbera is like, uh, which way did he go, George? Right. Uh, duh. Oh no, I'm a badoopadoo. Yeah. Like and uh, like literally, Billy West just brought back a new kind of dumb guy. Yeah. Hey, how's it go? Oh, hey, Ren. Yeah, exactly. Now, can right. you do sad Stimpy or Stimpy? Um, I don't know if I can. Hey, I'm sad Stimpy. Mm. I'm sad Zimby. No, you that's idiot. Not. You idiot. Uh, so you sick little monkey. But and Billy West would go on to end up taking over for John Kay as um, as Ren as well. And he says that he used a combo of Burl Ives, who was Sam, Sam the Snowman in TV's Rudolph. Uh, all uh, the Red Nose Reindeer mixed with Kirk Douglas and a slight South of the Border accent. Um, other voice actors who did side characters on the show included Frank Zappa, Randy Quaid, Gilbert Gottfried, Rosie O'Donnell, Dom DeLuise, Phil Hartman, and Mark Hamill. Tons of big names doing stuff on the show, especially after it got mm-hmm. super popular. But there are so many issues. John Kay is having all these problems with the censors, with Nickelodeon standards and practices, getting into huge fights with them, having problems uh, delivering episodes on time. This is You say that, but like... They were really having trouble <laughs> delivering episodes on time. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Bill Ray said, uh, you mentioned Bill Ray earlier, on some occasions, uh, John Kay completed an episode in eight months. On other occasions, he completed an episode in two or three months. And it's so funny that this even reverberates to me as a consumer. I remember just being like, where are the new episodes? I love this show, but it's all it's all the same like six episodes over and over again. Where is more show? Not only that, but like while this was happening, Doug and Rugrats were coming out with new episodes every week and in the Nicktoons block it would be like a new Doug, a new Rugrats, yeah. and Space Madness again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really sucked. And I remember being so and, elated when a new episode did pop up and And as a kid, uh like on a CRT TV, you didn't even know what the difference was in fidelity because mm-hmm. like Klasky Shupo for all their weird lumpy headed animation quirkiness new to like you know the, uh, if you look at the pilot for Rugrats it is exquisitely animated yeah. it is like incredible just like the amount of drawing on display and then as soon as it was picked up for a show they knew how to scale it back whereas once they got the green light for the show Spumco just like went even further in trying to outdo themselves and go even further in what could they could do with their animation. Uh, and on top of that, we talk about like bumping into the censors, but like it would uh, Mitchell Kriegman was the network's first story editor who was the Clarissa explains it all guy. That was a mistake. <laughs> uh, you know, literally he'd be there like looking at the footage and be like, wait, you didn't have a punchline. It was just a weird drawing of a nose and be like that. That was the punchline. Be like, oh, that seems odd. <laughs> um, he was later replaced by uh, the Pete and Pete guy, whose name I forget. Mm. But that was a they they gelled better. 
But then, even then, John K. shat all over him once things turned sour. Of course. John K. actually attributes the character of George Licker on the episode Man's Best Friend as the actual final straw that broke the camel's back that got him fired from the show. It, it was is this dark, mi- abusive father figure. It is a mindfuck. Yeah. It is. V- I loved it. I loved it. Wait, at- it didn't air back in the day. You had to like find it on the DVDs. Oh, really? You're, oh, I'm you're, thinking, to remember. Of, you're thinking of the uh, the dog show one. The, yeah, which was very funny and good. Yeah, also kind of fucked up with George Licker and, and left a weird dark impression. But in George me. Licker was. But Man's Best Man's Friend Best is Friend even bad. darker and I literally mean, sure ends with like George Licker like in his underwear dancing with Ren and Stimpy with turds in their mouths. It is <laughs> like even within the freedom that they were granted, it's just kind of like. Yo, dude, don't have someone cry while their dad, like, threatens to, like, calls them a sissy. So they got rid of John. They keep making the show, though. Oh, okay. So we're we're getting to this. We're getting to this. So the the show is doing great in ratings. Uh It is blowing people's mind. The thing that keeps happening, though, is that they're, like, doing test runs on MTV that are also doing great. And people are like, put it on MTV. Put it on MTV. But Nickelodeon, even though they're both owned by the same parent company, are like, no, fuck you. This is our, we developed a show. We get a hit show. We don't get credit. Like it's actually, it's even though it's owned by the same owner, Nickelodeon was very possessive of Ren and Stimpy and they knew they had a hit, but working with John was so frustrating Mm -hmm. because he just did not turn in stuff on time. Or when he did turn in stuff on time, there would just be like, just all these things that they're like, we, John, John, we talked about this. We can't, we can't have them fucking make out under the mistletoe. We're not ready for this as a society, John. <laughs> Do they have to go to hell? Do they have to pee on the fence and die and go to hell? He said watching the show go on without him was like watching your children be kidnapped and abused. Games Animation ends up taking over the show in September of 1992. And uh, so Spumco loses Ren and Stimpy. Games Animation was their uh, new animation studio, and their first fully in-house series was Rocco's Modern Life. Then they would go on to do SpongeBob, Avatar The Last Airbender, all these other episodes of Wizard and the Bruiser. Um, (laughs) So this split is bitter. Mm -hmm. This split is one of the most, like, petty, disgusting displays of human interaction. It basically boiled down to the fact that Nickelodeon, uh, saw that like some of the episodes that weren't directed by Chris Felusi were released on time and were great. Uh, episodes like uh, I, I shit, I gotta look at the list, but there's uh, there's there's a bunch of them that like Chris Felusi just didn't get a hold of that were fine. Um, I think Stimpy's Invention is one of them. Mm. So they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted those good Ren and Stimpy episodes, but they wanted to deal with someone who wasn't uh, a nightmare, and so. They just quietly went to other staff members, including Bob Camp, uh, and said, like, we want to cut John out. Like, we'll give you a new studio. We'll make it work. And it caused this fissure with people that were loyal to John Kay and people that were loyal to Ren and Stimpy. Right. And the people that were like, this is a great show. We don't know if John Kay will get another show after this, especially after all, like, the drama. If we have an opportunity to keep making this amazing creative freedom show, we're going to jump ship and we're going to do it. John Kay takes over the narrative, gets magazine articles, gets features, literally uh, like just trolls the shit out of out of the new studio. He sends them like t-shirts. He sends the new games animation studio uh, black t-shirts with individual uh, defectors faces on it and quotes of them praising John Kay on them. 
And in an era where like everyone's anti-corporate and like the true animation nerds look to John Kay as this golden child that managed to do the impossible, everyone's on their side. Yeah. Uh, is on his side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, the show He is... also pushed one of his directors down a flight of steps when he told him that he was going to join the new studio. Uh, um, I mean, to be fair, the show is not as good. He also this. dumped uh, Lynn. Wait, but the show is not as good after those first two seasons. By far. Like, 100%. Uh, yeah. The best episodes of the show are in those first two seasons. So the one argument I would Carbuncle make, leaves uh, doesn't go along with them. That's gotcha. Another thing. That's another thing. But still, I would say that's one argument for like it's not just like John K. You know, uh, got like was in proximity to these really great people, and he's not as good. Like I do think he brought a ton to the show, and his voice he just didn't bring a ton of show. <laughs> he just didn't bring a ton of show. But uh, the show that he brought was the brilliant show. You know what I mean? So the games animation team. Basically thought they could do, they could figure it out that like we can still put out the same quality and the same level of respect to animation and get it out on time and unfortunately the entire belabored process of extracting the talent and like dealing with all the new hires and dealing with the new offices put them back way behind uh, some of the best episodes of that era were ones that were just sitting on John K's desk that he just never like got out of his control to yeah. actually release. And those ended up being some of the best episodes. Uh-huh. But something was missing. Yes, for sure. Uh, hands down. But you saying that Carbuncle left, definitely that adds to it, right? Mm. Uh, for sure. But, yeah, they take over. The series ends in December of 1995. And, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's uh, and it's a shame. Like, it, that show was really brilliant. But sometimes the, if the brilliant guy is just a disaster area, it just is so – it's one of those things. I'm so just glad that it just exists. You know, it's such a, uh, like I said, a relic. It, it, it's so bizarre. Like, no, there's and there's nothing like it on any level, I, mean, I don't think. Well, not on that level. Not on that level. But the level of freedom that he had and the and the kind of open horizons that it opened up gave uh, subsequent Nicktoons and uh, the cartoon cartoon shows. SpongeBob. Uh, I would say Joan and Vasquez and Invader oh, Zim. Yeah, yeah. SpongeBob, uh, Cow and Chicken, yeah. uh, uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, it is the it is the predecessor mm-hmm. uh, to all those things. And that's kind of how like a weird asshole can end up getting a show. It's like like once they established it, they would probably never work with the John K. Once they established their system, you know. But early on, they're like, well, we don't know what we're doing. Let's hire this weird asshole. <laughs> well no he razzle dazzled them in the meeting he's Mm -hmm. a very animated guy he's a very Mm -hmm. clearly a charismatic guy given the amount of people that would follow him to the ends of the earth even when i was an animation nerd as a kid i thought he was this genius because he would like point at like different action lines on an old looney tunes cartoon and be like this is good everything else is shit and be like wow (laughs) (laughs) i mean and he's brilliant i would say he's definitely brilliant he's just um a curmudgeon since the age of 11 shall we jump to ren and stimpy adult party cartoon yeah, Sp- so Spumco and John Kay kind of rides that, like, cool counterculture, fuck the man energy. Doing Bjork music videos. Tenacious, Tenacious D. D. And a Weird Al music video. He actually recently did art for Miley Cyrus's Bangers tour. I loved that Bjork mi- music video, oh, by yeah, the way. I Miss You. It's one of my favorite uh, Bjork songs. It's great. From one of my he, uh, favorite Bjork albums. He's very Bjork. quick to adopt uh, internet distribution. He does flash cartoons. The goddamn George Licker program. Is that the one you were saying was maybe not so not so buen? Not great. But also you have to realize about this time in his life, after he loses Ren and Stimpy, he suffers from a deep, dark mental issues and alcoholism to, to try to cover it up and really doesn't 
actually confront these problems until about 2008. That is when he actually decides, like, oh, I need to try to deal with this stuff. Bipolar disorder, severe ADHD, all this, all these sorts of things, right? And he's really not confronting it at all. So I could also understand why his later projects, like the goddamn George Liquor program, would, would not be as strong. Because he's in the throes of just this depression, this, this angst. Uh, and apparently he does get some help for that later on. He does end up doing Hanna-Barbera stuff, too, for Cartoon Network with Yogi Bear and Jetsons cartoons. Oh, yeah, he's always there, especially if you want to, like, showcase auteur animation. If you, Like, you, you've you uh, greenlighted John K. thing, and it will be a singularly original-looking thing. Did you ever watch The Ripping Friends? I never watched The Ripping Friends. It looks so ugly. <laughs> uh, a bizarre superhero show aired for 13 episodes. But in 2002, Viacom contracts John Kay to produce a new version of his series for Spike TV, which was TNN at the time. They wanted an extreme version of Ren and Stimpy. Uh, it would go on to be called Ren and Stimpy Adult Party Cartoon. It is six cartoons that were produced, bringing in some of the staff he had originally. Billy West turned down the role. He didn't like the script he was sent and felt it would damage his career. He's replaced by Eric Balza. Uh, all episodes are animated by Carbuncle Cartoons in association with Big Star Productions. The animation is glorious. It's great, but TNN puts a hold on the animation block after airing just three episodes. And did you, Did you? I feel bad. I, so I have not watched any of this. The two standouts that good. people keep talking about is one, Naked Beach Frenzy, yes. which is just because John K. got real into like sexy girl artwork. Yes. And he always ended up like dating women that like did like pinup girl work. Like, yeah. Lynn did it, uh, his other, I forgot his other girlfriend's name who was, like, working on the show. Basically, the only women that worked at Spumco were women he was actively fucking. Yeah. Uh, it's literally just a cavalcade of gloriously animated Ren and Stimpy just, like, wriggling on animated tits. Yeah. Uh, like a ho- weird, horny, just... Weird, horny energy. I think what made Ren and Stimpy great was the fact that it had to be a children's cartoon and therefore it was pushing the envelope as much as a children's cartoon mm-hmm. can push the envelope the, but not pushing the envelope like Fritz the Cat pushes the envelope like the taste of darkness like was it's it's like uh, the it's, inappropriateness of its existence it's like in a tru- children's <laughs> format is what made it work yeah it's uh I'm trying to think it's like truffles like you put a little bit in something and you're like oh this is complex yeah but if you just took a bite out of one you'd be like this is Black and unpleasant yeah. and dirty and bitter. Yeah. Uh, Ren Seek's Help is just a fucking gaze into just psycho madness. Yeah, absolutely. It is like dark in a way that is not comfortable. Yeah. And considering uh, what was happening in his personal life at the time, it is really not good. And we should probably talk about it. Yeah, let's that. talk about it for just, you know, we don't, I mean, honestly, what you should go and do is read the BuzzFeed article. That's really going to lay it all out for and you. And if you're one of those type of people that are like, BuzzFeed, bleh, like, it's, it's fucking journalism. Yeah. Like, you don't get mad at the New York Times because they have a fucking horoscope section, do I mean, you? It depends. Like, it de- yeah, exactly. It depends on as, what I don't know, as This an, is a competent article written by a competent journalist. Yeah. As, so, as yeah. a fellow content jockey, I always get like a little like wary when someone's like, oh, fucking BuzzFeed. I mean, like, yeah, okay, don't read the shit you hate. Yeah, exactly. The actual person is uh, I, I wrote a very good article that, that did this. So anyways, essentially it came out, two women came out to say that they had essentially been groomed for um, a sexual relationship with John Kay since they were around 15, both of them, I think, 15 or 16. I think one was, one, one was actually maybe 13 when she first wrote the letter 
but didn't get involved in, with him sexually until I think about 15 or 16. It's really gross stuff. It it's um he literally just like he he showed up at her a teenager's house on her birthday and like just began to uh cuz I don't know if you knew this, teenage girls that are really into cartooning not the most self-confident right. assured people. And all of a sudden, this cool older dude who made your favorite cartoon enters your life and just basically takes it over. That's, I think, the saddest part to me. I mean, the saddest part's grooming an underage girl, but the element of it that always makes me sick, and this was in the Michael Jackson documentary as well, is like these people have a passion for a thing and you exploit it to get mm-hmm. them into bed. And that's so sad because... You know, it, it, it not only does it tamper your relationship with sex, it tampers your relationship with this, the one thing you loved more than anything else, your art form, you know? And uh, it's really unfortunate. It made me very upset to read it, and it's definitely something we have to acknowledge while doing this well, episode. Even though it's not like we painted the nicest picture of John Camp until well, now. Well, it's, no, I want to talk about it. It's tied into, like, when we think of, like, uh, animators, there's like a lot of weird volatile uh, personalities there because it's an art form that gives like the most control. Yeah, and it is an art form that is very expressive and, and it's like a weird loner art form. Yeah, so you a spend lot a lot of time isolated, just like putting your soul out there, uh, and like then to actually have it produced in a way that is true to your vision takes a lot of like finickiness and confrontation. And so it, there's a reason why like animators become like weirdly hard to work for film directors, and so coming off of this like huge embarrassment uh and in the middle of his quote-unquote dark spiral he just sees this innocent person that he can like just turn into whatever he wants both of these women their art styles are like they're inescapably john k like if you see their later works as grown adults you're like oh that looks like john k drew that yeah because even people that worked on his show end up drawing like him yeah because he just kind of like he was so demanding and made wanted everyone to like reflect his vision that it just kind of impre- you know in, in, imprinted on people. Uh-huh. And his style is very dis- very distinctive. Not only that, but so while he was on this on again off again relationship with uh, this underage girl and reaching out to other other underage girls online, he was making the Adult Swim cartoon or not the Adult Swim whatever the Adult Cartoon part the Adult Party cartoon. And Which like there weird. were later yeah, episodes so and weird. Uh, that was going to be about his like girlfriend who at the by this point had, I believe, become of age. But like they were in a very contentious relationship. Yeah, it was going to be called the succubus. <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of the weird interactions with Ren and Stimpy in this cartoon are a lot darker than they originally were. And if you consider like how their original relationship was based on his like college girlfriend, it all just kind of just paints a very dark picture. Oh, for sure. And it's and we actually I think we differ. I mean, I'm you're not a bad person. Nobody's a bad person for liking art by an artist that's problematic. I'm not gonna like lay that down. But it like that's it's sometimes it's a line that like I'm gonna draw and like doing this research and learning about this like kind of ruined Ren and Stimpy for me. Yeah, I'm going to say I do differ a little bit on that opinion. I, it, it definitely tampers it a little bit. Like, I've, I used that word just recently. But uh, I'm going to say that. Un, but I also feel like the relationship you had with Ren and Stimpy was not as potent and powerful as the relationship I had with Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy, no matter what the guy has done before or since Ren and Stimpy, when I was a kid, it had a formative, fundamental, giant 
revolutionary influence on my sensibilities comedically and everything. It spoke to me deeply. Last night when I came home, pretty lit up from SmackDown <laughs> with Mr. Ben Kissel. Wrestling, an art form that has caused no human suffering and is <laughs> fine to like. Exactly right. I decided to throw on um, Space Madness, like I said mm -hmm. before, and uh, the invention, all that stuff, right? Yeah. And I laughed my ass off just like I was, you know, how old, what, 12 years old or whatever it was when that first came on? Oh, probably younger, probably like 10, 11. Yeah, right? And I, I, you know, and it brought me back to that place. There is something about the just whimsical dark madness to, to, the, to that stuff that is still speaks to me deeply, comedically. I still, like, really love it. It definitely didn't ruin Ren and Stimpy for me. It's definitely very unfortunate uh, that it happened, but... I can't deny, like, I, I, you can, you can say, like, I don't really want to watch any more of this guy's stuff, but I think it's, it's almost does a weird disservice to just be like, that never had a profound impact on me just because I've since found out that he did XYZ. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, no, it did. And I'm allowed to have nostalgia for that. You know what I mean? And all the terrible video games. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about how bad the video games. Uh, the video games. Not so. even a good, never a good one. It's like a space one on the Game Boy that was horrible. Uh, the search for the fucking yak on Game Gear. I watched a Let's Play of it finally. Just to finally. It's a, it's fucking bullshit. It's just absolutely brutal. The soap power up is worthless. <laughs> God, those games were awful. But no, for me, I will be the voice of, if you are listening to this, like, I... I fucking love that show, and it's especially the first two seasons. It's original run. I think it's just un, an unbelievable work of art, uh, and and seeping out of the writing, of the visuals, of the acting, of the voice acting. I just I think it's just absolutely incredible, and I I I can't put that down. I can't quit it. Yeah, I guess it's overstated to like learning how many other people also helped make it a reality soften the blow. So I'm not like. I guess just general John K. Spumco stuff. This is my problem. Oh, do you remember that? Did you watch that Simpsons opening? Uh, no. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's yes, one yes. of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Dude, I think it it starts to get difficult for me because we've had a debate about this when it comes to we have to eventually do an R. Crumb episode, right? Yeah. This is my argument, though. Like, if it's the work of R. Crumb, Ren and Stimpy itself. Like, if you were to be like. What guy kind of guy do you think the guy who created Ren and Stimpy is, right? Mm. I would be like a weird creepazoid, like a freak guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he totally is, right? Doesn't at the end of the day, and it's not I'm not saying like perverted fucked up people should be like given a free pass, but like doesn't the kind of product that we love that is so crazy and gross and weird and on, on another planet, doesn't that have to come from someone who's sort of flawed and who's just really kind of mentally fucked? And when when we get rid of all of these people, which I'm sure we're, we're on the path to doing. First, they came for the pedophiles, and I yes, said nothing. and I said nothing. And it's a weird thing to argue for, but it does make me think a lot. It's not something, an, an argument I'm willing to make, but it does make me think a lot. What does entertainment look like when we do get rid of all the freaks and the perverts? You know what I mean? Is it more just like we need them to fall in line and obviously yeah, we'll just not have more fuck underage girls and well, do stupid shit like that? Like, yes, I need them to not fuck underage girls and do stupid shit like that. But I don't want to get rid of all the freaks and the perverts. And I and R. Crumb is a, you know what I mean? He's, he's a freak and a pervert, but that's what makes his art what it is. 
And and if you were to ask me, like, what kind of guy do you think our crumb is? I would have been like, yeah, he did a bunch of fucking crazy shit. So let's say what they did, but let's not necessarily deny the great work they did, I guess. I don't know. I'm wrestling with this so much. Lately. I mean, I wrestle with it, too. I'm never going to say that there's a right answer for this. Like, we all just have operating assumptions that we use just to exist. Uh, my operating assumption at this moment, like, it's the time of recording. Who knows what'll happen when it turns out, like, my favorite person got turned into a fucking Skeletor. <laughs> yeah, it's like Rin and Stimpy, Woody Allen. These are the things I love. <laughs> like, I'm fucked. That's, that's a bad, that was a bad hand. It's a bummer, right? <laughs> but bummer. I don't have those personality John Lasseter, traits. that was a huge bummer. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with it? What I can't, I, I, you know, and, and, and if I find out tomorrow that Steven Hillenberg like kept kids in their, ba- kept kids in his basement, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. There's something really fucking, uh, it's so hard because I don't want to argue for these fucking horrible criminals, but there's something upsetting about ca- cancel culture that I can't quite put into words, but I don't, there's elements no, of it. They're taking away stuff that you like. It's yeah. Bad. They're taking away stuff that you're like, and it's just sort of like everyone just goes, yep, that person's fucking canceled without even maybe asking enough questions or finding out exactly what happened or, you know what I mean? And it's like, this guy totally fucked up and these people probably do all deserve to be canceled. But I don't know. Part of me is like, I can't wait for like 30 years from now when can't, there's maybe things are different and I can like Ren and Stimpy again without <laughs> feeling like a fucking criminal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't you're know. You're not a criminal. That's I'm like the a deal. scared to say shit like this on a podcast like this because I'm like, I don't want to be no, this, Mr. This, Alt-Right defender of the fucking perverted criminals. But at the same time, like Ren and Stimpy special to me and I'm not just going to like put it in a box and, and never look at it again just because this guy dated a couple of uh, 16 year olds. Dated. I mean, fucked and <laughs> groomed into a sexual relationship. You know what I mean? But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's definitely underplaying it by saying had sexual, uh, very wrong sexual relationships and p- potentially kind of ruined these people's lives. It sucks. I hate it. But uh, I don't know if that is uh, necessarily, you know, I don't know if I. Ha- I but does I that cancel out the work that uh, Lynn Naylor did? Does that cancel out the work that Bob Jock did? Exactly. Does that cancel out the- yeah. Does that cancel out all of that? Does that cancel all, all of and like, especially with R. Crumb, not to belabor the point, but I feel like he- We're going to do an R. Crumb. I'm not going to drag grew my up, feet. He grew up in a time, like he came out of a counterculture, gross freaks in New York. It's kind of like John Waters. I, he, you know, he's not known to have done anything bad in, in terms of like, I, I don't know what his rap sheet is, but you know, like John Waters, if you did say he had some weird perversion stuff, you're like, yeah. Have you seen his fucking movies? <laughs> of course he did that. You know what I mean? I'm sure Divine was just this has this sparkling personal resume of like never doing anything gross to you know what I mean? Like and maybe they do. <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe they're just so gross on the outside that they're actually really clean in the in the secret space. You know what I mean? Um but I don't know. It's an interesting conversation that I feel like I'm not really I'll never maybe be able to actually Form Believe, my thoughts in a way. If that we feels had the definitive right. answer to this question, we wouldn't be the number six games and hobbies <laughs> podcast. We'd be the presidents of the world. It's it's definitely something I would have loved to have like written a thesis paper on back in college because that would have just forced me to break it down mm-hmm. over ten to fifteen pages of like the nuance to this and the back and forth of it all. But it when does it? Yeah, we just cancel, cancel, cancel lately. And when does it end? And it's so funny because I'm like, yeah, sure, cancel Michael Jackson. I don't really listen to Michael Jackson anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's some convenient cancels are great. 
Yeah. But the inconvenient ones, those are where the discussion lies, right? The ones Absolutely. that the ones that are troubling and I am troubled, but at the same <laughs> oh, time it? I found out like the director of one of my favorite animes was like a straight up Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, God damn it. Like and I'm troubled by hearing these things, but I, I I don't want that to keep me from late at night, one drunken night, coming home and putting on space madness and being transformed into the ten year old I once was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I think that's our show. Happy, happy, joy, joy. 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 I teach your mother to suck eggs. Happy, happy. I told them I'd shoot, but they didn't believe me. Why didn't they believe me? Oh, man. Happy, One of the best happy, joy, joy. cartoon episodes ever. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, you can check us out. If you want to uh, patronize us further, if you want to support us further, check out patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also, if you uh, want to follow me on Twitch, man, I love when new people come by into my chat. It happens almost every stream at this point, and they just say, hey, first time catching a live stream, love the podcast, and just, it's so much fun Hold to hear then, from did you, you know you're one of, like, the two people on Twitch I can actually watch as an entertaining <laughs> figure? Thank you. Twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo. Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung, and check out Dropout.tv. Uh, where my show Cartoon Hell, where I play a gross demon guy, uh, is is still putting out episodes and is a is a laugh riot. Especially if you like, I don't know, weird cartoons like Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> you might uh, give this one a whirl. Hell yeah! Take care, everybody, and always remember, keep on bruising and never stop whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother, Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.